Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In Nova Scotia and many other parts of this country, wait times for ambulances are getting longer every year. In 2022, Nova Scotians were waiting on average 25 minutes for the ambulance to show up. That's up from 14 minutes the year before. Now the province is introducing a new role to try to get patients care more quickly. Emergency medical responders will partner with paramedics to help assess, stabilize, and bring patients to the hospital. Michelle Thompson is Nova Scotia's health minister. Minister, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Why are you adding these new positions now? So over the last couple of years since we formed government, we've been um, very uh, invested in the emergency health pre-hospital care system in Nova Scotia. And so we've done a number of things uh, to support the system and strengthen it. And so we see this as a progression to introduce a new um, licensed professional called emergency medical responders who will work in one of three capacities within the system in order to support redeployment of paramedics um, or accompanying paramedics to respond to calls. I want to get to the specifics of this, but how did the province end up in this position? In a report last year, the Auditor General described Nova Scotia's ambulance service as being in a critical state. So we were we anticipated uh, the response from the uh, or the recommendations and the response from the Auditor General. That was, uh, you know, the report is is already a year old in terms of the the. Um, the mandate of that that report. So we have been investing since we started. And I think over years and years, uh, our our system has become more complex. And there's been a lack of investment and a lack of system transformation. And we ran on a on a platform to fix healthcare. And certainly when we formed government, we started the day after cabinet was sworn in, and we have had our shoulder to the wheel ever since and worked very hard with DHS to improve our pre-hospital. Would you describe it as a critical state? Three years ago, we were in Muscadabit Harper, and we talked to people there who waited for hours for ambulances to show up, sometimes with tragic consequences. Would you describe the state as, as, as being in a critical situation? So now I would say that we under we do know that there is significant strain, and there's a number of reasons for that. We see more complex patients. Um, we are a rural province, of course, with half of our population living rurally, the other half living centrally. We know that just like other jurisdictions, not only nationally but internationally, there is issues around recruitment and retention which is why we've made incremental investments in the system in order to support paramedics um, and support the emergency response system. So as an example, we've implemented uh, clinical transport operators. And so what that has done Mm. is reduce the number of transfers that paramedics do from uh, around 85% down to roughly 20%, freeing up our, uh, you know, high-quality paramedics to respond to emergency calls. So really looking at the system, looking at the data, looking at the acuity of calls, and our call volumes are also going up. We know that. There's been an increase in 10,000 calls over the past five years. So it's a very dynamic system. We know that communities depend on the system, and so we continue to invest and look for innovative ways in order to support both the paramedics and Nova Scotia. So let's talk about this announcement in particular. What's the difference between an emergency medical responder and a paramedic? 
Right. So an emergency medical responder will have 400 hours of training and they will have some, uh, in that training, they will have, um, you know, basic response in order to support a paramedic in the field. Uh, So that is also going to be a regulated profession. So it will be uh, monitored by the College of of, um, uh, Paramedics in Nova Scotia, which means that there will be a code of ethics and standards of practice and a scope of practice that will be regulated, which is a really important feature in terms of public safety. Um, So the Uh, Emergency medical responders can work with a paramedic and they uh, can also work in um, offload areas in uh, emergency rooms, which will allow our paramedics to be redeployed back into the system in order to respond to calls. So just to to be clear, with the emergency medical responders, are they going to be sent out on calls as well as working in offload? Because they're not paramedics, right? No, they're not paramedics, but they will have some basic training and they will be able to support paramedics in the field and they won't be in every truck. They will account for about 20% of the deployable resources at any given time in the system. So they actually will be an enabler or an extender. And when they work in offload, as an example, it will free up paramedics to go back into the field. So they will be utilized in the system as required and they also will be... Um, you know, utilized on trucks. We know that 30% of the calls that we receive are those highest acuity calls, but 70% are moderate to low acuity and certainly very um, capable for a paramedic and an EMR to respond. And the system is dynamic. So we have a variety of different skill sets throughout our system that will constantly deploy the right resource to to the scene as required. I guess I'm just, just help me understand this. So if I call for an ambulance, if it's a severe mm-hmm. case, then two paramedics are going to show up. But if it is less acute, if it is less of a, of a dire situation, then perhaps one paramedic and one of these emergency medical responders would arrive? Well, what happens with any emergency system is it is very dynamic. So a call comes in, dispatch gets the information, and we are de- we deploy an ambulance. That may require uh, two paramedics. It may require uh, EMR and a, and a paramedic. But that isn't the only part of the system that responds. Based on the call, we also have single paramedic units. We also have um, supervisor trucks that are staffed by advanced care paramedics. We've invested now so that there is a physician, an emergency room physician, that staffs our medical comm center 24 hours a day. Mm. And we now actually are trialing uh, video link technology, which actually allows the physician and the paramedic to actually have a video link that shows what's happening in the field. We have a registered nurse as well in the medical comm center. So there is a, and an, and a very experienced clinical uh, paramedic. So this allows the system to be very dynamic. And depending on the call, um, you know, there may be two paramedics that are sent out, but they may require the support of a supervisor unit or lifelight or an advanced care paramedic. And so the system is designed to be dynamic enough that we can always redeploy the resource that's required to the call. Sometimes we think calls are very acute, but when we get there, we realize that there is a lower acuity call. And as an example, a different skill set can support that call. There are many paramedics who aren't buying this as a solution. Matthew Williams is one of them. He's a former paramedic in Cape Breton. Have a listen to what he told Global News about this plan to bring in emergency medical responders. It's a dangerous model and it's a slippery slope. My biggest worry is that by doing this, it's more so saying that they're more concerned with the quantity of care opposed to the quality of care that Nova Scotians will be receiving. It's a huge step in the wrong direction. Paramedics in Nova Scotia have been fighting to get away from that type of model for at least two decades now. Minister, what would you say to that? He says this is dangerous and this is about the quantity of care versus the quality of care. 
So uh, the regulatory process that's happened through the Department of Health and Wellness has actually uh, been stewarded by very senior paramedics who are now working in the department, very experienced. We've looked at other jurisdictions. We've worked very closely with other jurisdictions across Canada. And this model is widely used in the United States. Uh, so, So the equivalent of their EMR is an EMT. Which is, of course, a very different medical system. Of course. So what I would say is that, that there is a role for these individuals. We've looked at the role of clinical transport operators, and that change was, was difficult initially as well uh, for paramedics. It is always difficult when, when a new skill set is entered into, uh, into a system. And but I understand it, it, is, that. is there a threat to qual- quality of care when a second paramedic is not in that ambulance? No, there is not. There is not, because we have other paramedics who can be redeployed there. We have a physician. We have a variety of supports. In rural Nova Scotia, sometimes medical first responders are deployed in advance of paramedics because they are the most local resource. So, again, the dynamic nature of this system. And we're not in the business of making a system more unsafe. This is really an opportunity for us to take paramedics, as an example, who are in offload, who have been you know, typically stuck there, who are there with patients accompanying them, to have an EMR, that actually puts more paramedics back on the mm. road. So I haven't had a chance to talk to anybody specifically about the details, but I think there's been a lot of fear-mongering about this, and I don't think it's fair. You know, these are regulated uh, folks. They will be trained very well. They will be supported within the system. They account for 20% of the deployable resources in our system, and every single thing we've done to date has been to support paramedics and emergency care in Nova Scotia, and this is an example of that. Can I just ask you, we're just a bit out of time, but you mentioned off one of the issues in terms of the time it takes for paramedics to offload patients at hospitals, this can be up to three hours in Halifax at the hospital there. Part of this is about the lack of beds and the lack of nurses. How is an, an additional resource in terms of an emergency medical responder going to help with the capacity that hospitals have to take those patients? That's in part why that offload delay keeps getting longer and longer, isn't it? So today we're talking about the emergency pre-hospital care response, but there are a number of things happening in Nova Scotia. So there's an incredible amount of work happening in the Department of Seniors and Long-Term Care, supporting uh, patients who are living in hospitals waiting for long-term care. We recently launched a new program called Capable, which helps people transition to home using a registered nurse and occupational therapist and a handyman as an example to make sure people have minor repairs in order to, to transition home. We are looking and working with our colleges to increase recruitment. There are a number of things that are happening. This is, this is one example of investments we've made, but I'd be happy to come and talk to you anytime, Matt, about all the investments and the changes and the transformation that's happening in Nova Scotia. We're working very hard across the entire system, which is what it's going to take in order to transform our health Well, and just finally on that, we are out of time, but is that, I mean, given the state of the healthcare system, and this is a national conversation, but we're talking about your province right now, is it going to take... These, I mean, they can be controversial, but these sorts of approaches, these sorts of, you know, throw something at the wall and see whether it works to try to solve the issue? We actually look at a very, you know, in terms of the emergency medical responders, we're not reinventing the wheel here. This has been very successful in other jurisdictions. And so we are adding this um, this skill set as a result. It is going to take innovation and we can't continue to do things the same way we've always done. Mm. That's how we've gotten here. So it is going to take investment. It's going to take innovation. It's going to take a bit of risk in terms of, you know, trying things and adapting them as we go. But we're willing to do that because we know that the system needs to be transformed. And we can't always wait. 
um, you know, for for you know, time is of the of the essence and urgency. So so we're going to continue to keep moving shoulder to the wheel, and I think this is a very good example of a safe and important change that's happening in our healthcare system. Really glad to have you on the program, Michelle Thompson. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Michelle Thompson is Nova Scotia's Minister of Health. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Margaret Fraser is an emergency family physician, emergency and family physician in Sydney, Nova Scotia. She works at Cape Breton Regional Hospital. That's one of the busiest ERs in Nova Scotia. She's been listening in. Dr. Fraser, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What do you make of what you've heard from the minister on this emergency responder system? Well, uh, I do have some concerns about the uh, new EMT program that's been announced. I've spoken to several of my paramedic colleagues since the announcement, asking them what they think of the new program, and they have concerns as well. It's not always possible to tell at the dispatch end what the acuity of the presentation is because patients themselves don't know what's happening to them uh, when they call uh, 911, they give a description of what's going on, but you're going on a description by an untrained person who may be downgrading their symptoms, downplaying their symptoms because they don't want to believe that something terrible is happening to them. Right. Or sometimes you have people who kind of overstate their symptoms. So the paramedics often have no idea what they're going to find when they get to the scene. We do see people quite often who is, you know, stay at home for a day after they've had their heart attack because they don't want to believe that that's happened to them. And then, you know, they present uh, very unwell, but uh, the whole time saying, well, it's just indigestion. It's just, you know, it, it's nothing. Don't worry about me. I can wait. And, you know, you go in to see them and it's obvious looking at them that they're very much sicker than they said they were. So the paramedics have concern from that perspective. And they also have concern from the perspective of if they get to a scene and they find that it's more acute and now they have somebody with them who doesn't have the same skill set. So they're essentially operating solo in a, a dangerous to the a, a situation that's dangerous mm. to the patient. One of the reasons why this have, is well, one of the reasons why this is being proposed in part is because what you would see at at uh, the hospital, which is the backups, um, the, the number of paramedics who are there, not out answering calls, but they're there waiting to offload patients. What sort of backups do you see now? Oh, we see huge backups. It's not uncommon to come up. I come in through our back door when I come to work. Um, it's the easiest way in from where I park. And I will often walk past six, seven, eight ambulance stretchers uh, with attendant paramedics uh, on my way into work. I can tell what kind of a day I'm going to have just by what's waiting at the back door often. Um, and so we are seeing large back backlogs. But having the paramedics back out on the road makes a difference for people in the community, and I'm certainly not downplaying the importance of that, but it makes absolutely no difference to what's going on in the emergency department. We are still going to be overcrowded. We're still going to be um, gridlocked and unable to see patients, and that's because of upstream issues, which are not unfortunately addressed by this program. Mm. 
we have too few hospital beds. We have too many patients. It's not uncommon. Yesterday when I walked in at my, for my eight o'clock shift, there were six ambulances waiting and I was handed over a list of 10 patients that I had to round on because they were being detained in our emergency department because there were no beds to put them in. This is not doing anything to alleviate those pressures. Can I go back to the issue of the community? I said in the introduction that Nova Scotians were waiting on average 25 minutes in 2022 for the ambulance to show up. And as I say, we did a whole special program in 2021 from Muscadaba talking about a small community, but people were talking about waiting and and patients being in a, in a dire situation because the ambulance would take so long. So is there not a benefit? And I get it, once they get to the hospital, they may be waiting, but is there not a benefit for you know paramedics to actually show up and be able to see them in that situation? There is a benefit to getting the paramedics back on the road. I'm not denying that. And there is a benefit to having patients being picked up faster. But if when they get to our department, they cannot be seen and they're being left with somebody who has very minimal uh, medical training, uh, then that that creates a difficulty for the emergency department and a difficulty for the patient. It's even today with our highly trained paramedics, we still have situations on a daily basis where the patient needs something that the paramedics can't provide and we can't provide because we don't have a nurse to assign to the patient and we don't have a room to provide to the patient. So they're waiting at the back door frequently in pain, uh, for example, because the paramedics can't administer a, an appropriate pain medication. Our paramedics are highly skilled, but they do have to operate within their scope of practice. So if you're downgrading that scope of practice to a lesser trained person and leaving the patients in their care, they may not recognize the signs of a clinical deterioration of condition, and they may not be able to administer medications at the back door that the patient requires. The minister said that so it wasn't fair. The minister said it wasn't fair to 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 suggest that these folks that who would be coming in the emergency medical responders aren't properly equipped or properly trained. But they this is 12 weeks of training. You you have concerns around that. Well, 12 weeks is a very short period of time. Um they are going to receive some training, but they're certainly not going to receive the training that the basic paramedics receive, which is 54 weeks. Uh, you can't cram that into a 12-week training program no matter how much you try. Mm. And in addition to that, the paramedics who have the more advanced skills, they go on and do a further a further training period in which they're in the OR, they're in the emergency department. You know, the, So there's no way that these people with the best will in the world are going to have the training they need in three months to care for patients who are often quite unwell in stretchers, on stretchers in hallways. Um, I, I, I don't have the details of what that training will include, yeah. but I would be very surprised if it includes enough to enable them to do that adequately. Just in the last couple of minutes that we have, if this isn't the solution, but she says it's part of the solution, what, what more would you be looking for? Part of this, I mean, and this is a conversation that's happening right across the country. The expectation is, is if you are in need of care, you call the ambulance. The ambulance is going to show up. You're going to be taken care of. People are waiting longer and longer and longer. What do we need to do? Not just in Nova Scotia, but what, what do we need to do to ensure that that need is met? So for virtually my entire adult life, politicians have been talking about the demographic bulge to come, the baby boomers, the aging baby boomers. And the very next day after they've wrung their hands over the aging baby boomers, they've closed a hospital, they've closed hospital beds, they've shut down training positions in 
medical schools, in nursing schools, in pharmacy schools. So we need to stop talking out of both sides of our mouth and tackle the problem head on. We need more hospital beds. If you look, nobody likes to talk about statistics, but statistically, Canada has fewer hospital beds per capita capita than virtually any other country in the Western world. So you cannot expect a hospital system to function properly if it has no beds. We need to build hospitals. We need to build bed capacity. We need to build long-term care capacity because the baby boomers are indeed retiring in droves and they have complex health care needs. Um, in the short term, mm. our hospital system did a very good job of freeing up bed capacity at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, wards were required to take accept overflow patients. All of that pain has now been downloaded to the emergency department. The hospital wards are no longer accepting extra patients. There's no longer any extra capacity. And indeed, in a couple of cases, I know of uh, wards where clinical uh, treatment rooms have been taken and turned into managerial offices. Mm. So we need to build bed capacity, not shrink bed capacity. That would be the first thing. I could go on for hours about this, but you don't have hours to listen to me. <laughs> but I could tell. I mean, this is partially the response to you coming in through that back door and knowing what's in what's in front of you when you see that shift and you yeah. see the number of ambulances that are backed up. I'm going to leave it there, but this is... I would love to talk to you more about this. From your perspective, it's fascinating. But also, I think you've got a lot of people thinking about what we have to do and what may or may not an, uh, answer that need. Dr. Fraser, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anytime. Dr. Margaret Fraser is an emergency and family physician in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Your thoughts on this? This is a national conversation in many ways, waiting for that ambulance and then waiting at the hospital. In the ambulance, you can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.